luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech. We have always believed that if we built the right technology, we could amplify and enhance and enable human progress. And when I look at what lies ahead, I realize that we've really just barely begun. Your hosts are Mark Schaefer and Douglas Carr. Welcome, everyone, one and all, to another episode of Luminaries. This is the podcast where we talk to the brightest minds in tech. We have discussions about digital transformation, transforming our business, our careers, even our lives. This is Mark Schaefer with my co-host, the mesmerizing Douglas Carr. <laughs> How you doing, Doug? I hope I, I'm, I'm doing well. I hope that I can, uh, you know, maintain a mesmerizing uh, conversation today. You don't have to work <laughs> at it. You're yeah, naturally, that's true. you're naturally mesmerized. You know what? I am transfixed by your beard. That is the thing that makes you most mesmerizing. And for, I know this is an audio show, so you can't really see Doug's beard, but yeah. <laughs> go to the show notes and just take a look. And ladies and gentlemen, I think you will also be transfixed by his it's just to cover. It's just to cover my chins. That's all. Well, we are delighted to welcome our special guest today, Kirk Shell. Kirk is a visionary leader who is literally leading an effort to change the way we see the world. I know that sounds a little mysterious, but I think all will become clear soon enough. Welcome, Kirk. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you guys. You know, Kirk, this is going to be the most unusual question I've ever started a podcast with. But some people told, learned that I was going to be talking to you, and they said, you have to ask Kirk about his dog. <laughs> what is the deal with your dog? Well, my dog is a bit of a local celebrity, so it's you know, in our neighborhood, I was joking around the other day that and when I walk the dog, I'm sort of just like a handler because everybody in the neighborhood knows the dog by name, but they don't really know me. So I love the anonymity because he takes all the heat from you know everybody in the neighborhood. But my wife says he looks like the Brad Pitt of dogs. So uh, that'll give you some visual there. Um, and oddly enough, we, we took him with us to Shanghai when we did our first overseas assignment with Dell. And he's about to go wow. with us to Singapore. So he's a he's an international celebrity, not just local. So he's he's got uh, yeah quite a, quite a following, especially in Asia. The Brad Pitt of dogs. <laughs> well, uh, take us back, Kirk. Tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So, you know, my story is a little bit of a Forrest Gump story in, in that, you know, I grew up on a farm in the middle of Ohio. So, you know, literally from about the time I was born until, you know, 18, really never left the state of Ohio, let alone uh you know, did much internationally or, or things outside of that. So things were about to change in a big way for me when I was 18. And uh, when I went off to school, I was a uh, Navy ROTC student. So uh, the Navy paid for college. I was a mechanical engineer. And then right after I graduated, went into the U.S. Navy nuclear power program. So I had never seen the ocean maybe one time. And I joined the Navy, which is a joke. I'll tell you uh, how I told that later in my career. But so went from a mechanical engineer into the U.S. Navy nuclear power program and really had a wonderful career in the Navy, which spanned about seven years and became a professional engineer in the Navy. Um, I was in charge of reactor coolant chemistry uh, and radiological control and, and then ran the power plant. So 
uh, I did test of our reactor plants and, and things like that. So that will become important, I guess, uh, later in my career. So my last two years in the Navy, I got to teach uh, at the British Royal Naval College, which is the equivalent of Annapolis. We do an exchange program with, tro program with BRNC, and uh, I got to be the U.S. officer there. So I taught leadership and navigation at the Royal Naval College, uh, which was a wonderful job, and you can imagine all the fun of, uh, of that. And actually, it was my first overseas assignment. So even though England doesn't sound very exotic now in hindsight, it was a, a big trip for me and my wife, who'd been married about 20 minutes and then went to, went to England. So, so after that, I went back to graduate school to kind of um, rejoin the workforce and uh, went to Michigan. Uh, after Michigan, went directly to Dell. So I've only had two employers, uh, the U.S. Navy and Dell. And at Dell, I've been here now 20 years, and pretty much all of that time has been in product development, and most of it in commercial product development in Austin, Taipei, Shanghai, and now Singapore. So I've had a really uh, wonderful career at Dell that's been sponsored by uh, lots of people above me in the food chain that I can't thank all of them now, but certainly Jeff Clark and Sam Bird have been uh, mentors and, and a big part of my career and this latest move to Singapore is just another step for me, but uh, a fun one as I get to you know, build out not only my expertise in engineering and tests and marketing and all the things that I need to know to do my job, but also just the cultural aspects of getting to be in Austin and Taipei and Shanghai and, and now Singapore. And now why, why Singapore? What's magical about Singapore? Is that a center of innovation or operations for Dell? Yeah, you know, in my 20 years, we've continued to invest in global sites to get the best people in the world to do product development. So as we built out our expertise, you know, of course, we started out in Austin. But, you know, if you look today, we're trying to find the best people we can around the world in Silicon Valley and Boston and Austin and Taipei and Shanghai and Bangalore and Singapore and so on. Singapore is, is important for Dell because... We set up our software and peripherals and displays business there. We have a long-standing set of employees there who've been doing great work for a long time, uh, primarily focused on displays, but around that includes, you know, we've done projectors, we've done imaging, we've done uh, lots of cool peripherals there. And I guess later on, we'll get into all the innovation that uh, that the teams have been able to drive. Wow, that is uh, that is quite a history. And uh, and Kirk Bravo Zulu, I was uh, I was a Navy veteran as well. I was enlisted in the Navy. Outstanding. And actually attended Navy Nuclear Power School, uh, but got in a little bit of trouble uh, before reactor school and had to go to the fleet. So, <laughs> well, anytime someone's even even a prospective fellow nuke, that's well received. And you know, good thing you weren't in the Air Force or the Army. I would have had to make a joke. Yeah, so I'm, that's. Uh, I think we're on better better footing. Absolutely, and just great to see. I I, I tell everybody, it's just great to see all these Navy vets that are running these companies. And uh, and uh, again, uh, just just an honor to speak to you. Um, Thank you. I know that your primary focus is on display technology and your and that focus is extremely customer driven at Dell. Can you give us some examples of how customers are driving display innovation? Yeah, I think, you know, one one thing to remember, you know, if you think about the company is that, you know, we're trying to always be the best IT infrastructure that we can uh, partner that we can be. So, you know, th what that means is, you know, whether you're talking about data center products or you know, storage or security or client uh, PCs, workstations, desktops, notebooks, or displays, you know, we want to make sure we're the best possible partner. So there's a big aspect of that that involves our global sales coverage and 
being able to operate in over a couple hundred countries and provide service in all those places. So I don't want to lose that in the value proposition to commercial customers because of you know global footprint and available the ability to service and support in a bunch of countries is tricky business. So when we do that, then our promise to customers is okay. We're we're a tier one IT partner, but you know how do we get better? And so the get better part is be the best in every category you play in. And so, you know, in displays, that means innovation and it means, you know, being the best. And so, you know, we're the number one displays manufacturer in the world. uh, And we've done that with innovations in, you know, if you look at how you build a display, uh, obviously in resolution, you know, we were the first 8K monitor uh, company. Uh, We have in what we call infinity edge bezels or zero bezel design. So, if you know our XPS 13 notebook, it's the smallest notebook in the world because it's able to uh, use these infinity edges. We do the same thing in our uh, ultra sharp brand of displays. So we call them four side and narrow bezel. Uh, we've innovated around curved displays. So if you've ever seen a curved display, you'll want one. Um, and then, you know, more and more as we think about how do we improve uh, color with HDR displays and representation of both professional content, but also consumer content with games and, and, and film and things like that. So you've talked a lot about uh, innovation. And when I think about where the world is going, I've got this image in my mind, Kirk. It's the minority report. So uh, how much of the future is going to be like the minority report. Are you working on haptic type of displays? Is this going to be kind of, what's your view of of where all this is heading? Is it going to be like displays everywhere? Uh, what's 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 your view of the the future of displays? Sure. Well, I think if you think about productivity and you talk to CIOs today about their role, they're all trying to understand how to make technology work for them to make, you know, as a competitive advantage. So, you know, we, if you think about our workstation product line, we already have uh, significant business with folks who do oil and gas or geology or media and entertainment or, or things like that. All of those customers are looking at using enhanced types of uh, visual depiction of data, you know, to improve the product. So I was at Sundance Film Festival last year and I sat on a panel and I was kind of blown away by how many people ask questions about mixed reality as a f- uh, for media and entertainment. Mm-hmm. So if you, mm-hmm. if you go that direction first, mm-hmm. you think, well, in order to be able to shoot media and entertainment content, you know, film and, and video and documentary, you know, you will need not only 8K cameras, but then ways to shoot things in, in 3D such that you can capture the image from all the angles required. Now that not only requires expensive cameras, but it also requires, you know, workstations on set so that you can render images and capture the video and edit live and set things up for the director so he or she can look at the shot and ensure that they're getting what they want. And then as you can imagine, on set to be able to look at an 8K video, you've got to have the highest resolution big display or displays as possible so that, you know, color representation and how you want the shot to actually look you know, is captured correctly. And then on the on the consumption end, all of that stuff is equally important as a director spent months and lots of money building a, a production. How do you represent that perfectly for the user, whether they're consuming or, you know, they're taking that content and then working on it further. So with the displays, you know, 
portfolio. Today that means flat and curved, large, high-resolution displays. In the future, that will mean you know, larger pieces of glass that are used for lots of people to look at and smaller personal pieces of glass that give you not only perfect representation, but over time a more immersive uh, way to interact with that. And so if you go to the other side of what you described, mixed reality is front of mind with other CIOs who are thinking, how do I create tools for simulation, whether that's for medical or uh, manufacturing or engineering or you know, imagine you're an expert and you know how to fix a piece of equipment, but that piece of equipment's on the other side of the earth. How do you get someone with the right mixed reality headset to go look at the actual thing and then either you talk them through the repair or you use some sort of AI or, or drone or, or a robot arm to actually do the procedure from where you are? All that stuff is being thought through by experts in our industry and all of them are hopefully being aided by you know, innovations from our technology. That's, that's, that, that's, that's so cool. And I'm so jealous you got to go to wow. Sundance. That must've been a cool experience. Did you- I drop that every time I can. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's the- <laughs> Did you meet anybody famous? <laughs> True story. So I, I was there and, and it, it, I'd had to do a little bit of work and the last day I was sort of done. So I stopped in this place on the main drag, like thing called Murphy's or something to have a beer. And Next thing I know, I'm talking to all these B-list actors from Guardians of the Galaxy. So I, I oh nice. And what I didn't realize was my credentials, I guess, said film production on them. So the only reason these people were talking to me is because they thought I had some kind of an in in film. And they you know I, hopefully they're not listening to this because you know I don't. So, <laughs> but they picked up the tab. They were nice people. So you know it was it was a fun afternoon. That's cool. That's cool. Now I'm going to sound like a total geek because I don't want to talk about Sundance. I want to talk about <laughs> I want to talk about displays, and uh, I have on my wish list that uh, 38 inch curved uh, monitor. Uh, so th- so hopefully that's coming soon. But I I, I absolutely love your displays. Um, one of the interesting things when I was reading was that there are very industry specific display applications that are driving uh, innovation in in this industry as well. H- how do configurations vary by business type, Kirk? Sure. Well, I mean, if you, if you think about the way we do product development anywhere, you know, I would tell our marketing and strategy and advanced technology people that we want to be the best at understanding how people work and how they want to work. And so that means getting on site and actually looking at how people's workflow is dictated and how it you know actually happens, and so we have ethnography people and humans, uh, factors engineers and people like that who actually go out and just watch, and so they'll come back and say, hey, we were on a trading floor in Wall Street and we saw that people had you know four displays all sort of bolted onto a sort of cumbersome mount so they could get as much information in front of the trader as possible, you know, to act quickly and hopefully make money and. You know, we went back and proposed to them that we build them a large display without all those frames and then they use an independent set of video inputs so that you can get multiple uh, inputs of data feeds into the display on a 43-inch and, and soon-to-be larger uh, type display. So it's much more space efficient. You don't have all that plastic in between the, the displays, which is wasted space, and the trader can kind of seamlessly then move from you know one data source to another to, to better understand what's going on. And you know, you can see uh, these curved displays are becoming more and more popular. We, we had a major bank out with us in Singapore two weeks ago. We're helping them design their London trade floor, uh, and that will be comprised of a large number of curved displays that will stack on top of each other. Again, just trying to get 
as much information in front of the person as possible so that they can act on it. And, you know, in a world where we're going to be collecting more and more data, whether you're talking about IoT or sensors or whatever, you know, more and more data will require more simplistic ways to show it to people so they can make decisions. And so, you know, glass and, and even the ergonomics and the mechanical mounts and the implementation of glass and displays will be critical in this because the amount of information that people want to uh, consume is, is ever increasing. Yeah, so interesting. Do you, um, uh, this, uh, I just had this image in my head as you're talking about these mounted displays at, uh, at banks. And, you know, it's funny because as we were beginning our discussion, I was thinking, okay, okay, displays. These are things I use around my home and in my office, but but really, when you get into it, uh, the types of things you're talking about are like just huge multimedia experiences, right? As well as something that we might use in a, in a practical application in our homes. I mean, something, I mean, I've seen Dell technology used in like uh, corporate lobbies and so forth to display multimedia presentations. That's got to be a really interesting and growing area for you. Yeah, I think you're seeing, you know, again, if you go back to the discussion with IT buyers or, you know, IT professionals or CIOs, they're even redesigning their workspace. So if you think about a, a new office, the questions they ask us are, you know, with, with an evolving workforce or people who are changing the way they work, how should we design our offices? Because we'd like to decrease our office footprint. We would like to allow more people to work from home. We would like to have more versatile space. Uh, we'd like to be more connected, and we'd like to collaborate better. And so when, when we sit down with companies to have that discussion, that means conference rooms now are using large, wirelessly connected Dell conference room displays as big as 86 inches. That means hotel cubes that can work for anybody. So there's a multi-monitor setup that you could plug in you know, your notebook when you're in the office, and that gives you a lot of real estate to be as productive as you can be. Uh, it means digital signage, which is what you discussed, which allows you to use, you know, a thin client or uh, centrally a database uh, from the from the server room that pushes information out to the employees on a, a number of things, and all that requires different displays, different connectivity, docking, uh, and so forth. And it and it really do, really really requires uh, a site design, which is something that's been fun for us as people think about Dell as not only you know, a leader in clients and a leader in the enterprise and certainly a leader in displays, but now as an advisor to helping them understand how to make their employees more productive, you know, inside of the budgets they have. I'd like to switch it up a little bit. You mentioned uh, earlier in, in our discussion that you actually taught leadership. I think this is just an extraordinary opportunity to explore that idea a little bit and how leadership is is changing in this world. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I actually took a class in leadership studies. I thought, you know, this was going to be my easy blow-off class for the semester. And it actually ended up being one of the most interesting classes I've ever taken and kind of started a lifelong interest in, in the subject. So I'm wondering, as, as someone who started their career grounded in the military and what leadership means in the military. And now here you are sitting on top of this amazing global business with operations and customers all around the world. Um, what's remained 
the same? And what has changed uh, as the pace of technology has changed and this and this distributed remote workforce uh, around the world has changed? What's remained the same in terms of your principles of leadership and, and what's changed for you? It's a great question. I mean, if you, if you go all the way back to me teaching leadership at probably 25 years old, and I was probably learning as much as I was teaching at that point. So that was a great point in my life to sit back and reflect on, you know, what are leadership principles and, you know, how do you actually get a group of people to trust you enough to, to follow you in, in whatever endeavor you're in? So, the, you know, if, if you flash back to that class, Back then, the Royal Navy contracted to teach students from around the world. So I would have about 30 people in the room. Some of them were English, some of them were Welsh, some of them were Australian, some of them were from the United Arab Emirates, some were from Africa. I think I even had a student from Fiji. So at, at a very, uh, in a very short period of time, not only did I have to get good at teaching, I also had to watch the faces of people from multiple cultures you know, as they tried to understand what I was saying with an American accent and so forth. So that alone was a, a teaching moment for me just to try to relay any facts, let alone leadership. And then as we, we got a little more into the course and we learned to trust each other a little bit and we developed a relationship, it came down to a simple question, which was, what about you would make someone else trust you enough or emulate your behavior enough that they might follow you? And we, we would spend a lot of time exploring that with the kids and say, look, it has to be authentic and it has to be you. So if you find yourself copying somebody or you find yourself copying either, you know, Lord Nelson, the greatest naval leader in Royal Navy history, you're not Lord Nelson and it will seem fake and everybody will understand it quickly. So from there, you know, this notion of how do you motivate people, how do you create vision and how do you get them to really trust you in a way that they would follow you? That's the same, right? Whatever job you're in, big or small, whatever industry you're in, I think that's the same. I think the thing that changes as you start working now in larger groups and multinational groups and in a world now that can communicate 24 hours a day, I would tell people that I work with or you know, I mentor, I say, remember, the leadership principles have to be consistent and the same and they have to be authentic to you. That has to be unchanging. And you have to decide how you want to implement that in your organizations. But the things that I think I've had to improve on and I think others would, would need to improve on is how do you do that in multiple cultures? Because one leadership style or one communication style or you know even one personality may or may not allow you to be effective in other cultures. I learned a lot in Shanghai when I, when I had that job about how do you become an effective leader in a culture that's different than your own. And then the other one is really how do, you, how do you scale communication across a global organization? Because if there's just five of us in a room, if we're in a squad or we're on a ship and we have a group of 20 people, we can all muster up and I can talk to all of you and I can send you a memo and you have to read it. And that's relatively straightforward. But now if we're in 20 countries and we're in every time zone and we're communicating around the clock, how do you create punchy, succinct, easy to understand, consistent communication that still creates a vision for an organization that may not ever be together, maybe ever, and if they, or, or, or maybe only a couple times a year. So I think as those enterprises get bigger and more multicultural, it puts stress on your ability to communicate. And so you, you know, then, you, then I suppose the, the final thought would be you realize that creating an organization and creating people who have skills that you don't have becomes the most important in your career 
and allows you then to reach these different parts of the world and these different cultures in a way that you probably can't do on your own. So you, you learn a lot about team building and, uh, you know, talent management and, you know, and, and, you know, if there's anything good about getting old is you, you're <laughs> able to admit your own, you know, things you're not great at or things you need help with. And so you go find people who are the best at those things to, to help you out. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Kirk. And there's really a synergy there. You know, I don't mean to take this back to Dell and and wax poetic about technology, but there really is a synergy there with supplying your teams with the right tools as well. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that that one of the reports that you guys had said that 42% of millennials would quit a job over technology and 82% of them said technology influences the job. And compound that with you know, the, the bottoming prices of displays and the efficiency gained and, and technology really does play a role in how companies wish to get these teams in remote workforces and everything to, to collaborate. Correct. Well, yeah. And I mean, especially as we think about bringing people into the workforce now, um, yeah, the technology that you have is a major influence on whether or not they will take the job, which has changed quite a bit over the years. And, you know, if I take a step back and just look at our mission, if we're trying to make workforces as productive as we can, that means every day when you come to work, you, know, you have professional tools that are the best that are available. So certainly in the displays business, that means if you're doing medical research, having the highest visual acuity and highest resolution, of course, is critical because you want to be able to see everything that's you know, being done in the background or any images that you took. Or if you're doing you know, CAD and you're doing engineering design, being able to manipulate a part or, or a piece of uh, design and being able to see it exactly as it will be built, of course, is critical. So, you know, I think for us, the never-ending task for our product development teams is to build the best professional tools possible. And that has to be a reflective of the use case. So, you know, if you think about our detachable roadmap or our workstation roadmap or our micro display, uh, micro projectors or you name it, uh, they all start with unique use cases of a person who's working at home in an airport on the go, uh, what we would call personas, which is maybe a little uh, a little geeked out for this. But, um, but we look at these personas and say, how, with what we understand about the workflow, how do we make this person as productive as possible? And displays are a huge part of that because imagine you have all this graphics capability, all this processing capability, all this network bandwidth, but if you can't display it accurately and you can't display it at high resolution in, a, in an immersive environment, you know, you, you just can't take as much advantage of all that technology as you would want. And the ROI on it is, you know, years ago, you used to buy a display and hope that it lasted 10 years. Now it's, uh, if you bought one every year, there's a return on investment on that productivity, right? Yeah, and certainly if you think about Dell, I mean, you know, we, we Michael likes to say we're number one in everything all in one place. And, and with that comes a lot of scale. So we believe that you know, our ability to democratize technology to get things into the hands of people is a major, uh, it's a cultural core thing for Dell. And it's something that we want to continue to deliver. So just as you said, the ability to deliver better and better things, and in this case, resolution, size of panel, curved displays, thin bezels, beautiful design at better and better prices is kind of the value proposition here. So more people can actually take advantage of it because we don't want great tools just to be in the hands of the wealthy or in Western culture or in, you know, you know, highest margin businesses. We would want 
everybody around the world to have equal access to technology so that they can be the best person they can, whether it's in their life or in their job. So this is a, just an extension of what Michael started over 30 years ago. And culturally for us, this is really at our core. So, you know, I've had people, I've had headhunters call me and say, you know, you've been with this company 20 years, what's wrong with you? You know, and, and <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, the real answer is, I mean, I stay here because I love the people and I, I think what we do matters and I see a real integrity to the, the culture from Michael on down that, you know, what we do is really meant to make people more productive and enhance, you know, what, what people can do in their everyday lives and, while taking advantage of their own talent. Well, Kirk, this has really been such an amazing conversation. The time has just flown by. I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom today. I want to thank you for sharing your really inspiring uh, ideas around leadership, what matters, and also this gift that you gave to me and all of our listeners, because now we are all one degree of separation from Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's pretty darn cool. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty darn cool. That's pretty darn cool. I didn't expect that. I did not expect that going into this episode. Well, you always have to have a, like something up your sleeve, right? Come on. It can't just be super straightforward. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much. I've just absolutely learned so much from you today. And I want to thank all of our listeners. We never take you for granted. We know spending your time with us is is really a gift to us. And we never take that for granted. So thank you. Uh, this is Mark Schaefer. And on behalf of myself, Doug Carr, and everyone behind the scenes at Luminaries, we will see you next time. Luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech a podcast series from Dell Technologies.